Now let's take our Bibles, and as we do, we will open together to Psalm 116. Psalm 116. As you're turning there, I'll begin to read. It's uh, not a lengthy chapter. Just really try to listen in to the things that are being said in this chapter as I read, and then we will really begin to consider some parts of together this morning and worship our God. Hear God's word. It says this, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice, my pleas for mercy, because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For I, for you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed when I spoke, even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. Verse 12, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people in the courts of the house of the Lord. In your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you in prayer as we prepare to hear your word. We would request again to you, God, this morning that you would be pleased to take this time that we give attention to what you have given to us, your people, in this psalm, and that you would speak to us. God, that you would speak to us by your word and spirit in a way that affects the way that we think and the way that we feel, that indeed informs us and transforms us. Lord, we pray, I pray that as I speak and seek to unfold this chapter, that you would grant me to say it with great simplicity and clarity. And I pray for those who are here, God, that you would give them ears to hear and that you would use your word in our hearts and minds this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there is um, a connection really thematically and more powerfully, between Psalm 116 and, the, and Psalm 18 that was read in the beginning. Both of these psalms, one of them is a psalm speaking in the midst of great struggles, great anxiety, tremendous entanglement. Really, if you go back to and remember what was being read in Psalm 18... He was talking about being down in the depths. It's language very similar to the language that we even hear from Jonah in the time of his sort of capture in the belly of the great fish. He was down there. He was tangled. The phrases that are used are like down in the pits, down in the depths, even have that sense of being not simply about to drown, but pulled down to the bottom of the sea, bars closed in around you, so encaged and entangled in all of the cords and weeds. It is a situation of absolute dire hopelessness. It's a, it's a circumstance into which the psalmist at no point thinks, I've got this. You know, uh, you know it's not a... Houdini scenario where it looks dire and it looks like there's a problem, but you know, there's some kind of trick to it. For the psalmist, it was, yeah, I'm done. 
There's no way out. There's nowhere to help. And even in the sense of it, there is a strong uh, a communication of isolation in the midst of it that I can't help myself and there's no one else who can help me. There's no one else who can hear me. And he cries out to God. And uh, when we look at this psalm, and we, and we, do, we do want to be cautious, and, and, I, and we often urge, urge this caution. We live in the age where the nature, natural condition of the flesh drives us to speak of me, 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 and self, self, self. And we talked this morning even some about how the media does that as well. Just pushes those ideas. This psalm actually strongly reiterates over and over again. Other than three verses in this entire psalm, there's a bunch of I, 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 and me, me, me. But the beauty of all of the I's and the me's in this particular chapter... Are all, they all speak of his circumstances, his struggles, and his union with, need of, deliverance from, commitment to the Lord. And so what's also interesting in the same one where I say, all but three verses say, I, 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 me, me, me. All but three verses also say, Lord, God, you, you, him. Okay? And, and so... There is this beautiful richness where God himself personally, particularly, and intimately engages us. We don't live for ourselves, but, but it's hard to separate from ourselves. As much as we may consider and come alongside of our brothers and sisters when they struggle and when they have difficulty and when they sorrow, we often don't feel their sorrow as deeply as our own sorrows. Unless God has given us a circumstance very similar to what they're going through and it would be, I know that because I've been there. I know that because I've felt that, and I've been through that. And so I, when we look at the psalmist here, there, there is this, this richness. We glory in God, and we glory in God's works in creation, and we, and we intercede to God on behalf of others. But let us never also forget His mercies that have been poured out on us, and our dependence that is ever directed towards Him. In other words, in all of it, um, there, we're always in danger of imbalance. I mean, uh, it, it's happened quite recently that uh, people have noticed that the general patterns of, of churches have become very social-oriented, social dynamic, social club, um, uh, and, and everything seems to be horizontal. And so others have come along and they've tried to redirect it. We need everything needs to be vertical. We need to do everything vertical. And strangely enough, the scriptures don't allow us to be an everything vertical or an everything horizontal community. Now, the imbalance, if we were going to be seemingly imbalanced, it, it would be directing ourselves to God more than other things. And indeed, if we're directing ourselves to others without thought of God, there, there is a mistake there as well. But whenever the pendulum swings and someone notices or a group notices, there's an imbalance here. There's an overemphasis. What's the tendency? Let's go the other way. You know, there's, no, there's too much talk of love, love, love. Let's now preach nothing but Wrath and fire and brimstone and vengeance. Um, and a recovery of those things is necessary, but it's, it's in the reality of God's wrath and in the reality of God's judgment that we understand His mercy and compassion and love, so we, we don't want to lose others. Love becomes trite and frivolous without an understanding of the depth of God's wrath and judgment. 
but judgment and wrath without a sense of, of the full forgiveness and acceptance that's in Christ becomes its own kind of bondage and legalism. Okay? And so the, ultimately someone, someone will come along and say, so then what to do, degree are we to preach this community or God? What emphasis? What's the perfect emphasis? You know, and I shudder to think any man is ready to answer that, you know, 60, 40, 20. No, no, no. Here's, I think, our only hope in that. Preach the word. And as you preach through various psalms, as you preach through various books, when the scriptures emphasize our responsibilities to our fellow man and our brothers and sisters in Christ, then that gets emphasized. When it speaks of God's mercy and forgiveness and love, then that gets emphasized. When it speaks of his judgment and wrath and sets forth strong warnings, then that gets emphasized. And so we just get to sit back and say, how about if we let God, by his spirit, through the word, lead us? As to what we emphasize, how much, and when. So that we get that balance. Because what man is fit to stand there and say this is the answer? You know, we're really good at recognizing the problems. And in a world where we all recognize problems, it's just so easy to jump to a solution. But there's a certain point at which we just got to pause and say, but who am I? That I somehow know better than all the other churches and all the other pastors and all. If only everyone would seek my counsel, then everything would be fixed. I mean, how unreasonable does that sound? You know, and so uh, I happily herald. I don't have all the answers. I don't have all of the solutions. But I know this, we're on firm ground when we humbly submit to what God by His Spirit has given us. And we emphasize what it emphasizes when it emphasizes it. And sometimes it is a very personal recognition. Sometimes it is a very personal cry. And someone could jump out and say, well, that was a little man-centered there, a little me-focused. And the response should be, yes, the psalmist really does deal a lot with himself in that psalm. So we should be aware with that, aware of that dealings and aware of that circumstances. So in this passage, now to not strike a total imbalance, I've titled this sermon, He has, that is God has, I will. Now, in this passage, there is more emphasis, more repetition on the I will, the I will, the I will. But that as a response to what God has done is, is strongly in there. And so I want us to see those things as we come through here. Further, there are a couple of things that I've reached out this week to um, a couple things in the original languages here that are a little bit complicated. And what's interesting is because it's complicated... All of our translations have simply removed the complication and given us what they want. Because this makes more sense to me. So uh, even though it's not exactly what the scripture says, this makes more sense to me. So I'm going with that. Every single one of the translations did that. And so I wanna, I'll show you that right now by, as we move through this introduction. And it, it's really in this first verse. Listen as I read this first verse. It says in the ESV and many other translations, I love the Lord. That's a great start, isn't it? I mean, is that not something we want everyone to cry out? I love the Lord. Well, in this particular phrase, what does it say? I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and the pleas of my petition. So he was in difficult, dire straits. Absolute miserable circumstances. He called out to God. God heard his pleas and delivered him. And so you know what? Because God heard and came through for me, I love him. Now that, that is a love that is, is what? Responding 
to God's doing. I love because when I read that, something in my mind was just like, that's interesting. I love. How about, do I not love God when he hears me and says, uh-uh, I'm not delivering you right now. Those cords are going to hold on to you for a little bit longer. No, I'm not healing you this time. This, this sickness is going to eventually uh, uh, take your body and bring your soul to me. At that point, do I say, well, then if you're not going to answer the prayer, then I ain't going to love you. Do we do that? I, I would hope not. And, and I mean, that, that's the fickle nature of men, right? I love because this. What do the scriptures teach us? Do we love simply because of what others do for us? If we love somebody else because of what they do for us, what kind of love is that? Jesus actually, in some of his parables, says, look, if you invite people to your home just, just in hopes that they will also invite you too, what good is that? It, it, invite the people who can't invite you because that is a more genuine of, expression of love because one... You have a self-interest in what you're doing there. If love is only expressed in the context of self-interest, that's unhealthy. And so in my psalm readings, this is one of those ones that at a certain point struck me. Hmm. Now, there is, in a sense, when we get answers to prayer, when we see the hand of God, when there's a demonstration of His power, there is a welling up of, of, of that joy. There's maybe an overflow of that sense of love that is a response to his kindness. But I then looked a little closer at this passage and what's challenging in it, I know a lot of people don't love grammar, but that's where we're going right now, so bear with me for a moment. It says this, I love, but in the grammar there's no object stated the translations have supplied the object from something mentioned later in the verse I love the Lord because that sounds reasonable and good and I agree to love the Lord is reasonable and good but this passage simply says really I love that he has heard my prayer. The Lord has heard my supplication and prayer. The, in, in the, uh, according to the Mesoretic pointings, which is where they've added, they've done vowels and uh, what we would call punctuation. In those, in those punctuation, there is a pasik. Which again makes no sense, I get that, so I'm going to try to describe it. Between I love that he's heard and the Lord, there is a posic, which is like a semicolon. It is a, a, it's actually a vertical line that's drawn to separate one part of a sentence or phrase from another. So it is simply, I love that he has heard. The Lord has heard my prayers and things. And so... Um, so, so there's ways to wrestle over this, but even then, I love that he has heard, that, that he has heard as a verb. So let me just throw this out there, and I want us to understand this. This isn't the only place. Some of us will be well, well familiar with another place in Scripture where this same thing has happened in the New Testament. In the New Testament, we see it in the Gospel of John, or, or not the Gospel, the Epistle. 1 John 4, 19 says this, and we know this one. We love because he first loved us. Now, I, I, we love, but that's not how we know it. How do we know it? See, in this passage, most of us know it under the influence of the old King James here. The old King James translators, again, looked at the literal, we love because he first loved us and said, well, it doesn't tell us what we love. So let's supply that. We love him. Because he first loved us. That makes more sense in English. It does. But in the context of 1 John. We love. Because he first loved us. We love him. Yes. And what else do we love? The brethren. 
it is a more open-ended, intentionally open-ended, non-object statement. We love Him and one another because He first loved us. But they've limited it more. Because He first loved us, He's brought poured His love into our hearts, and that love is expressed towards Him and towards others. So now back to our psalm for a moment. In this sense, I love because He has heard my voice. It could carry three simple senses, and I'm going to give them to you because all of them are rich to consider. And the beauty is this. If you don't know which one it is, and all of them are great, then I'm going to give you all of them because they're all great. All the potential meanings of this. I love. Now, remember, for um, as the Scriptures unfold, we have what's... There, there is progress. In the beginning of the scriptures, there's not a full knowledge of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and elements of the Trinity. There's not a full knowledge of God's eternal purposes and the plan and salvation and eternal life. If you were to ask many Old Testament saints, what happens when you die? There would be a degree of mystery associated with it for them because the scriptures increasingly reveal more and more as we move forward in time. A lot of the things that you do here in the Old Testament, for example, will say things like this. Psalm 115, verse 17. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down to silence. The idea is simply this. While I'm alive, I can praise God. I can speak of Him. I can obey Him. But once I'm dead, that's done. I can't make, I'm not going to be making known his wonders. I'm not going to be proclaiming his excellence. Uh, this is the time that I can have an effect. Once I'm dead, it's done. Same idea we see in Isaiah 38, verse 18 and following. Sheol, for in the Old Testament, is the place where the dead go. And it says this, for Sheol does not thank you. Death does not praise you. Those who go down to the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, he thanks you as I do this day. And so th th this is the idea. Dead, you're done. You're alive, you can do something. All right, so that's just a, a, a simple snapshot of the ancient Hebrew way of thinking about life and death. While we're alive... We can do stuff. Once we're dead, yeah, we're not doing stuff anymore. All right? So that's the simple way. And so, again, back to some, I love because he has heard my voice. If God had not delivered me from that situation where I thought death was impending, you know what? I'd be silent. I'd be done. I wouldn't be doing anything anymore. But because he delivered me, you know what I get to do? Love. I get to love him. I get to love the saints. I get to love his people. I, I get to express this element of, of appreciation and, and faithfulness and walk because he delivered me. It's not. Uh, so it, it's more the, it, it would carry more the sense of if he hadn't heard my prayer and delivered me, I'd be done with actual loving acts and loving declarations because I'd be removed from the living. And so since he delivered me, I'm doing it. And almost there seems to be this motive. Now that I, in this awareness that I've been delivered, I love. I'm not going to take this for granted. In this, the dead are silent. Since I'm not dead, do you know what I'm going to do? Yeah, I'm going to make some sound. The, the dead don't give thanks. But since I'm alive, you know what I'm going to do? Thank Him at all times. Rejoice always in everything. You know what? The dead don't love. But since I'm alive, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to love him by proclaiming his wonders to everyone, by walking in his ways, by showing mercy and care and help to his people. I'm going to love. I love.
because he has heard my prayers, because he delivered me, because I'm alive. And so it's not seemingly as paltry, as, as, as pitiful as, all right, he answered my prayers, so I'm going to give him a little bit of love. Mm, no, I love. And, and further, if God is the object, object of that love, I love God. Mm, that's wonderful. I mean, in that he's delivered you, who more than any other should our greatest love and affection be directed to than God, for sure. But also in the phrasing, I love that he has heard. The, the, um, it, it, again, this is in the, what's called the call imperfect. So the New American Standard translated that he hears. Just think of that for a moment. In a possible rendering, literal rendering of this passage, I love that he hears me. I love him. I love. I love that he hears me. Those are the three possible renderings of this. And I, lo I love them all. <laughs> I love, I, I get to live, obey, serve. I love him with the fullness and overflow. And I love that he hears me. Think about that. We get to call out to him. And often I want to remind us of that just so we don't, we don't take it lightly. I mean, how many of us, if we wanted to, in a moment's notice, could get a meeting with the present president of the United States? Call him up and say, yep, I need to meet this afternoon. Clear the schedule. Can you do that? Absolutely not. And, I, and, and how important is he? Of course, if you take a poll right now, it's going to vary tremendously from person to person. But regardless, you can go to uh, uh, important people in men's minds, celebrities, people of prominence, people of position, seeming power and influence, and you may not be able to get an audience with them. Many people who work, let's say you, wor you worked for a massive corporation, something like a Walmart, and all of a sudden you decided, you know what, I, I want to I have a sit down with CEO. What is the likelihood you're going to be able to pull that off that day, that week, that month, or ever in your lifetime? Not very likely. And, and, and people would say, I, would, I want to because I think I, you know, I want to share with him some things that only he has the power to affect these changes. And so, uh, well, that may be the case, but you can't get to him. But I ask you, who has the power to affect greater change? Global change, heart change. I mean, sometimes you can look at another person and say, I, I can't make them understand. Do you ever feel that way? You, 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 I can't make them understand. Or, no matter how much I talk, they, they, don't, they don't understand what I'm going through. They don't, un, they don't feel what I feel. Um, and, and it all turns into a, a, a crazy combat. Those ideas come. Well, when we come to God, who do we come to? He's the one who searches the hearts and minds of men. He's the one who knows the motives of men. He's the one who has all means. If someone is absolutely, you just can't get through to them. I've explained it this way and that. I, I, I've pled with tears and they still don't get it. Nothing else I can do. Who could still get through to them? Mm -hmm. More than that, because you know, this is always a challenge, not only who can get through to them, but who can get through to me? <laughs> who can get through to you? To you? Uh, uh, so that we also understand, that we grasp it. That, uh, who can enable us to communicate more clearly, to understand more comprehensively? We have this glorious access to this throne of our great God. And in this context, I want to just quickly move on and consider these things. This, this God, because of him, we love. 
We get to live in the land of the living and worship him and, 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 and benefit and bless one another because of him we love. And because he hears and answers our prayers, because he has made himself the God who has attached himself, committed himself to us, that he has inclined himself to hear us, particularly, oh, I love that he hears me. Because there are some, there are times in the, in the history of Israel where God says to, to the prophet, when they call out to me, I will not hear them because of their iniquity. You think, oh my. And then we get to think, like the psalmist here, in spite of my iniquity, he heard me. I know I don't deserve that he would hear me, but he heard me. Oh, that I love him. And oh, that I love that he hears me. So first of all, we see that he has, and I'm going to look at the he has before the I wills. He has, verse 1, he has heard me. Verse 2, he has inclined his ear to me. That, that is a poetic phrasing that, that refers to a, a, a physical movement. For us, it is, the simple, it is more like the idea of a hand to the ear and leaning over, which represents what? I, I, I want to hear what you say. I'm trying to, I'm giving attention to it. Now, does God need to do that? No, it's a poetic phrase indicating this. Uh, instead of leaning away, instead of looking away, instead of turning away, all phrases the scripture uses concerning God who has turned his face away. What is it saying that he's doing? He's inclining his ear. That is a, a bending over, a particular and personal paying of attention. God has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live, but we'll see the I wills in just a moment. Verse 6, go with me. He has, says the Lord preserves the simple when I was brought low. He saved me. Verse 3 tells us the death, the snares of death encompassed me. All right, so this is not just I was feeling mildly ill or... Um, it was a tough, a little bit of a hard day. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a bit discouraged. No. Snares of death encompass me. Pangs of Sheol means I'm at death's door. Means the phrasing he's using is any more, any further, it's over. I'm as far as you can go without being completely gone. And then it goes on to say, Pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Verse 4, then I called on the name of the Lord. Oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. And what does the end of verse 6 say? He saved me. He heard me. He inclined his ear to me. He saved me. Verse 8 says, For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. Who has, in effect, in his phrasing here, completely accomplished this deliverance all on his own? Without any help from the psalmist. We did it. No. That's not the phrasing here. It's not together we got out of this. It is, I was done. I was dying. I had nothing. You saved me. And then look at verse 16 with me. And it's phrased in a slightly another way. It says this. I will pay to my vows. Or, oh Lord, I am your servant. Servant, son of your maidservant, you have loosed my bonds. Uh, again, he, there he's using the, the, the language of what? Captivity 
imprisonment, and bondage. So he's using language of captivity, imprisonment, bondage. Language of death and despair and hopelessness. And into those circumstances, what was his only hope? God's salvation. God's deliverance. Do you see an amazing parallel in there? <laughs> yes. It, it, what, what's interesting, when, when, we, uh, when we look at the, this, this phrasing where it, it will even say in this passage, um, verse 13, I will lift up to you the cup of my salvation. Actually, that, that more literally rendered, the cup of my salvations. Because God's deliverances are many. If ever we have, we have faced an illness and come through it, if ever we faced a discouragement and come through it, if ever we faced an attack and come through it victorious, every single recovery, every single victory, every single progress, if ever we were bondage in, in our sin and dead in our trespasses and sin, and we were delivered out of that, who did it? So what he's recognizing is, is, is the cup of God's salvation. I will raise that cup. It's many-fold. I mean, the, the phrase deliverances or salvations is a, is a widespread thing. So we know this. God saves us from our sin, from, from eternal wrath and sure death. And we know that salvation as we commonly use it. But many of us come to know very particularly in certain trying circumstances, if it wasn't for God, I would have never gotten through that. I would have never made it through that side. If it wasn't for God, I wouldn't have been able to overcome and get out of that sin. It had me like the bonds. I could not escape that but he loosed my bonds. He set me free. He brought me through victorious. And so we know, and I think it's healthy for us in even our today to know this. The ways that God has delivered us in our salvation, glorious. His continued delivering in daily circumstances and daily needs is not something we should take lightly. It's great that we emphasize the one that, that has eternal significance. But there are daily deliverances. Daily mercies that all come from God. I'm not going to only raise to him the cup of my from life to death. But there are, there are some times that when he, when he brings through the darkest days in the darkest valley. I want to thank him. And praise him for delivering from that. Or maybe the circumstances that would bring that, that, that despair about are still going on. But I'm not crushed. And I'm still able in the midst of that to find some peace and some joy. I'm going to praise him for that. I'm going to lift up that cup. Because that, that, the idea of lifting up that cup is, is, is really... All of you, all of you, all of you. It would, it, it, it certain uh, events, uh, there would be a, a lifting up of the cup at the end of feast to give thanks to the um, master of the house who held the feast. Where, because all the people who came, it wasn't a potluck. When they came to that feast, they came because they were invited. Everything that was there that they enjoyed was provided for them. And so there was that, you know, that, that simple recognition uh, that would take place. And, and it has its parallel in the Passover feast. Taking that cup and giving thanks for the cup. It, oh, So let's look at the I wills now. I will. So... We've seen what he has. He has heard me. He has inclined his ear. He has saved me. He has loosed my bonds. Because these things are real. Because I'm no longer in the bonds. Because I'm no longer in that dire, deathly circumstances. Because he's heard and delivered. What is my response? The first thing 
we see in verse, is this in verse 2. What is my response? I will call on him as long as I live. <laughs> you got to love that, don't you? How long are you going to call on him? I'm going to call on him today. I'm going to call him. Well, what if, what if you don't have need? See, what's beautiful about this, the phrase for call is, is an interesting phrase, that's the word that's used here. It's not exclusively to the word for cry out, help me, help me, help me. Okay, there are words that exclusively that way. This can be that way, but this says, I will cry out to him, call out to him as long as I live. And not necessarily every day is a help me day in the same deathly scenario as others. It, this is a word that speaks of proclaiming, reciting, declaring his, his renown, declaring his name and his power and his righteousness. And so I will call on him as long as I live. I mean, whatever is the circumstance, I'm, I'm going to cry out to him. Well, I don't have any need, so no need to pray today, right? No, if I don't have any glaring tragedy or struggle or need today, then you know what I'm going to do? I'm still going to call out to him. I'm going to recite the things that he's done in the past. I'm going to make known my, my appreciation for his mercy, his goodness, his kindness. I'm still going to call out to him. I'm going to recite his excellence. I'm going to recount his wondrous works from the past. It's not, it's not only, I'm, I will call out to him as long as I live. Which part of that is something like this. If I was to do a quiz... How many of you here right now are alive? All right. And what about now? Okay. What about now? You're still with me, huh? Good. And, and so, and maybe tomorrow. As long as I live. Not whenever I have need. Not whenever I, when, whenever it seems beyond my power. Whenever, whenever I'm feeling weighed down again, then, then I'm going to call out. No, no, no. I will call out to you as long as I live. Uh, whether it's to declare my need, whether it's to declare your, your, your power and your mercies and deliverance, whether it's just to worship and praise you, it doesn't matter. If I have breath, that breath is going to be used to wobble these vocal cords to send out sound that declares your excellence, that declares your greatness. I will. What in? Uh, but one thing it's important to know this: I will call on the Lord as long as I live. But there is a little bit of a warning in Psalm one forty-five, verse eighteen. It says this: The Lord is near to all who call on Him. People say, "Oh, that's great." So, uh, whenever I call on him, then he'll, there he is. Then it goes on, it says, to all who call on him in truth. Oh. So there has to, what's going on? It's those who know him, those who know his being, those who know his character, those who by grace he has sent sent forth his word, bringing light and life and understanding and a knowledge of him. And as we know who he is and what he is, we as his people get to call on him in truth. Now others may call out to him, but not in truth. He is near to those who call on him in truth. And the psalmist is able to say here, I'm yours. And as long as I live, I will call out to you. Not only what is my response, but I'll say, what is my rest? says this in verse 7, and the uh, return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. So there was, a, there was a moment in which, in all that was going on, in super turmoil, what was happening? He lost it. <laughs> and what is it? He's, he's telling himself, Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully, has dealt good with you. Now, listen, 
we've got this reality. Jesus reminds us, look, in this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And so whatever's going on, we're, whatever may come, we have this circumstance where we can look through to Christ. Christ, in a sense, can shine through every dark cloud that would raise itself over us and shine through, and we can say this, in Christ, He has dealt bountifully with me. And so, you know what? Yes, here's a tempest. The wind is swirling. The mess is there. But you know what? Return, O my soul, to your rest. We start to feel that turmoil. We start to well up with anxiety. And what are we reminded in the New Testament? Be anxious for nothing. But in everything with prayer and supplications, make your requests known to the Lord. Because we can sit back in every circumstance. Those of us who are in Christ can sit back and say, the Lord has dealt bountifully with me. I'm in Christ. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. What he has prepared for me is beyond imagination. Return, O oh my soul, to your rest. <laughs> Return, O oh my soul, to your rest. What, where you've gone, get back here because he's dealt bountifully with me. Now, my neighbor might not be deal, dealing bountifully with me. My relatives might not be dealing bountifully with me. But in Christ, he's dealt bountifully with me. So I can preach that to myself in every circumstance and in every day. Return, O oh my soul, to your rest. Because he has dealt bountifully. What is my, so what is my response? I will call on him. What is my rest? It is in the surety that in Christ he has dealt bountifully. Really, uh, uh, Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God which surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Have you ever found your peace wandering? Ah, yeah. But by the grace of God, what can we do? Because of our union with Christ, return, O oh my soul, to your rest. It is a stabilizing, grounding reality that we get to experience. Thirdly, I'll even bring this to your mind. We, uh, what is my resolve? Verse 9, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Again, just a simple heads up on that. We don't use that phrasing in the same way, but we are familiar enough with the Scripture's regular use of it that I hope we get it. Is this talking about hiking? No. Is it talking about ordinary perambulating? Or walking? <laughs> is it talking about that? Is it talking about jaywalking? What is it referring to? A person's walk is what? How they live. And in this phrasing, I will walk. What? I will walk before the Lord. All of my steps, all of my acts, and all of my decisions will be taking into firm, clear, and consistent account what? I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. As long as I'm alive, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call upon the Lord. As long as I'm in the land of the living, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to walk before the Lord. The New Testament uh, phrasing of that idea is, is that, that encouragement to Walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Whew. When we think what we're called to, oh my. Uh, I, I was thinking of this morning, we remember and we know the hardships and struggles of this life. God the creator, immense and immeasurable in his power. You know, it, it, completely incomprehensible to us, God took on the form of a man. He became like us. And by His grace, when we see Him, we will be made like Him. He became like us. He knew what it was like to, to be famished, hungry, starving, after His time of... He knew what it was like to be betrayed, 
by people that he had given and given and given himself to. He knew what it was like to be disappointed in those around. He knew what it was like to be misunderstood and people wrongly judge your motives. He knew what it was like to be mistreated, emotionally abused. He knew what it was like to be physically abused. He, he knows all the things that we struggle with. We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness. He knows it. But the difference was, he was without sin. He was made like us, but without sin. And someday, we will be made like him without sin. I mean, I just, when you think of that, as we still stumble, as we still struggle, as we still, in our responses to one another, within our hearts, within our minds, we still stumble and fail. Someday, no more. No, no more. <laughs> My resolve, I will walk before him in the land of the living. And then I even, I would say, and so what is my resolve? I will walk before him. What will I render? Verse 12 says, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits? One of the, the, the things that I will render, I will lift up the cup of my salvation. Verse 12. Verse 13. So what will I render? I'm going to be giving him all praise and thanks for all of his works in my life. And it says, and call on the name of the Lord. Again, that commitment to declaration and reciting and making him known verse 14 what else will i render i will pay my vows to the lord in the presence of his people in the sense of we don't live in the in the circumstance of vows but the the covenant that god made with his people in the old testament the covenant required a commitment god was committing himself to them and they had certain conditions that they had to meet. And often in their conditions, they will say, we will do all that the Lord has said. Remember, when Moses delivered the law to the children of Israel, what did they say? Yeah, we will do all that the Lord has said. Did they? No, but they made a vow. They made a commitment. They obligated themselves. The same thing when David, when God entered into covenant with David. He said, if you walk after me with your whole heart and do not turn away, then I will. Put your son on your throne in every generation. You will not cease to have someone on your throne if you do this. And the same thing to Solomon. And those who would enter into that covenant with, with God, there would be vows attendant to that. I will do these things. And the psalmist here is simply saying, I'm actually going to do them. <laughs> you know, vows aren't just words. And I guess vows is, is an interesting term because where do we most commonly today use the word vows? Anyone know? Marriage. And what happens in marriage? People, what do they vow? To love, to cherish, you know. I dare say even those who remain wedded are not necessarily faithful to their vows on a daily basis. Sometimes we're not so feely, feeling so cherishy or, you know, it, it, sometimes it's like, I will, I, in, should we change the vows? I will tolerate and uh, endure and well, no, we shouldn't change the vows because there's richness in those. But till death do us part. I mean, they, people are committing across the nation repeatedly, till death do us part. And we know from our own experience, sometimes in our own lives and in the lives of those around, is that happen? People make vows. And what do people do? Break vows. I mean, if we were to do a mathematical percentage, is that particular vow kept or broken more frequently? Yeah. It's like the strange proverb that we use, promises are made to be broken. 
That's a terrible thing to say. Uh, promises aren't made to be broken. I think uh, aren't promises made to be kept? But, they, but it's become a saying in our society. Promises are made to be broken. No, they're not. Vows are intended to be kept. Promises are made to be kept. And there is a sense in which, and I love the language of, of Paul when he refers to, the, to, to those he ministered the gospel to. He's like, I promised you. I betrothed you as a pure bride to him. You know, you, you belong to him now. Do that. Live that. Be faithful to that. You're not yours. You're his. And now we're not under the same sense of conditional obligation that you lose because you broke your vows. No, Christ has fulfilled everything on our behalf. But how much more? The overflow of obedience and love and walking in a way that's honoring to God now isn't, well, I said I'd do it, so. I mean, I guess I said it, I got to do it. No, it ought to be what? We obey Him from the heart. It's an overflow of love and desire and genuineness. I mean, sometimes if someone says, all right, I, I, I made a commitment, I'll go ahead and do it. I don't want to do it at all. I'm going to do a terrible job, but I made a commitment. You almost feel like saying, get out of here. <laughs> That's not our heart because God, you know, when, when we understand, and this speaks of that viable relationship with God where where there, you know, God is a living God. These kind of things that, that the psalmist overflows with, they can't ever be said for the guy who, who, who prays to a stone or a stick. Because there's, there's nothing coming from that. There's no help. There's no answer. That stick can't do any good for them unless somebody picks it up and uses it to whack them. And then what else will I render? Says this in verse 16. I am your servant. I am your servant. When you read that in verse 16, oh Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant. What just happened there? Did my eyes double click? Did the needle skip? Because he said it twice. I am your servant. I am your servant. And then the son of your maidservant. What is the, that phrasing is repeated for emphasis and basically saying well, it is an expression of humility and an expression of submission. I am yours. I am yours to serve. And uh, so was mama. Everybody is under you and you are above all. And I will offer, verse 17, sacrifices of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord, the same call. So basically what he says, what will I render unto you? It is a life of worship. Worship coming out of his mouth, worship in the way that he walks and lives, worship in his attitude from which he does both the, wor the words and the service. Basically saying, what will I render to you? If I was to encapsulate it, it would be this. Render to you everything. In and out. All yours. To use my voice. To use my life. Everything yours. Because just in reflection, he is, verse 5, gracious is the Lord. One of those, it's one of those few verses that there's no me in. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. And last thought I want to bring you from the two, two last thoughts in closing because there's a few like sprinkles he's added in here. Listen to what it says in verse uh, 10 and 11. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. Now, now here, th this is the best rendering. If someone's using the King James Version here, it will say, I believed, therefore I spoke. What they've decided to do is ignore the Hebrew and follow the Greek translation there. I believed, 
even when what? I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. In other words, his confidence in God's existence, his confidence in God's power, his confidence in God's sovereignty, his confidence in God's purposes remained. Even when he could look at his circumstances and say what? I am afflicted. More than that, you to get a, a strong sense of it, look at the next verse. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. Now, this ties into something that we sort of read this morning in Psalm 42, verse 10. What would happen when David and others would be afflicted is people would come up to them and say, where is your God? Where is your God? You know, is your God real? The same thing you see sort of uh, uh, towards the end of uh, 2 Peter. Where is your God? Everything's continued the same since creation. Where is your God? How come he hasn't come again? Where is your God? It's like, yeah, I believed. Uh, God's delay doesn't change my faith. My miserable circumstances doesn't change my faith. The mocking of these measly men doesn't affect my faith. I believed even when I knew my circumstances were bad, and I would say, I'm afflicted, that doesn't change my faith in you. Even when everyone, all the voices I'm hearing are saying, nah, don't believe, don't trust. What's the psalmist saying? I believe. Why? Because God is greater than what we see. Someone might say, we walk by faith and not by sight. And that would be appropriate because that's what the scriptures teach us. We walk by faith and not by sight, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. And then lastly, what we are. Though God enables us at times to face great misery, and here he was delivered from it. Will he always be delivered from it? Where is David now? Where might I say is every single writer of the psalm? Where is every king of Israel and, and Judah that did right in the eyes of the Lord? Where is every apostle? Where is every man that God stirred up to, to revive and recover the gospel in the days of the Reformation? Where are they? They're dead. They're gone. See, listen, sometimes we think because we are precious... He will always deliver us. Is that true? Well, sometimes he delivers us, but it tells us in verse 15, and we'll end up closing with this, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Wait a second. Is there a typo there? Why doesn't it say precious is the life? That's also true, brothers and sisters. Precious is the life. And, and he is with us and he cares. But you know what else? Precious also is the death. So when, when God takes someone and, and they're about to pass and he brings them back and they live on, what do we say? Praise be to God who has delivered them. And when they are not delivered and they go ahead and they pass into death, which we know in the scriptures is from this place to the presence of the Lord, which is far better. What do we say? Precious in the sight of the Lord. As God has set us, his, his purposes upon us so that when someone is given to pass, nobody should look around and say, hmm, I guess God didn't care about them enough to save them. No, no, no. Precious is the death of his saints. Remember, it, it's as precious when God allows his apostle James to be beheaded as, is, as it is when he miraculously delivers Peter from the same fate in his imprisonment. One delivered to live and serve longer, one decapitated and into the presence of God. And which one did God love more? We know how the world would think, and we know how we would think. 
I tell you, the one who's delivered, and, 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 I, and I know this from what Paul says, the one who's delivered from that misery to live a little longer, he rejoices in the Lord, and he is thankful, and he praises. The one who's delivered entirely from this and finds himself in the presence of God, I dare say there is a degree of rejoicing that we don't yet know. That when we pass that river to the other side, there, there, is, there is joy and delight that we cannot experience while trapped in these little tents until God sets us free. So a simple reminder, he has heard. He has inclined his ear. He has saved me. He has loosed my bonds. I will, what is my response? I will call on him. What is my rest? It is in the Lord and who he is that he in Christ has dealt bountifully with me. What is my resolve? I will walk before him in the land of living. What will I render? I will lift the cup of my salvation. I will call on his name. I will pay my vows. I will humbly serve him and submit in all things because he is gracious, righteous, and merciful. And in the all that goes on, I did and I will believe. And we are precious in his sight. Let's pray. Lord, there is nothing in this world that is like your word that so powerfully penetrates our own experiences that so clearly reveals our 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 needs our anxieties our distresses that so clearly delivers to us stability and hope and strength and peace god we thank you that what we consider when we consider your word is not simply a textbook the time of a of a a sermon that let, makes your word known is not simply a speech, but your word is a living word, which brings us hope, which brings us comfort, which brings us joy, which brings us conviction and correction. We thank you for your living word, your spirit that you've sent to live within us, your son who, who lives to make intercession for us. God, you have dealt bountifully with us and that you would call us our life and even our death as precious in your sight. Lord, there is nothing more valuable, nothing more praiseworthy, nothing more to be treasured than you and the grace that we've received in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.